year during this chapter of Germany's history, but the Lord's remnant remained. The confessing church opposed the teachings of the government-approved churches that aligned with the anti-Semitism of the Nazi party and even removed the Old Testament from their Bible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor and theologian during World War II, was a vocal member in the confessing church and a protector of underground seminaries that trained pastors. He is known for conspiring in a plot to assassinate Hitler, leading to his execution only months before the end of the war. What many do not know, however, is that Bonhoeffer could have avoided all opposition. In 1938, Bonhoeffer arrived in the United States for the Union Theological Seminary in New York. He soon wrote to a friend, I have come to the conclusion that I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. He then returned to Germany to take his stand, not only against the Nazi regime, but against the enemy attacking the Church of Jesus Christ within Germany's borders. When Bonhoeffer was eventually imprisoned, he waited for a year and a half to go to trial, even in his prison cell. Bonhoeffer continued to spread the gospel among prisoners and guards. His cellmate wrote that his soul really shone in the dark desperation of our prison. His decision seven years earlier to return to Germany to stand firm with his brothers and sisters in Christ had led him to his death, but his death was not in vain. Who stands firm? only the one for whom the final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all these when in faith and sole allegiance to God, he is called to be obedient. Amen, thank God for people who took a stand. Two purposes for that video. One, I'm tired of people saying that the church disappeared during the Nazi regime. That's revisionist history. And I want you to know the truth. And second, to say that however bad the world becomes, God always has a remnant, people who will stand up and be counted. And uh, I want to be among that group, don't you? I want to be among that group of taking a stand. Do just need to encourage you. I, I get all kinds of feedback during the week. Now, I shouldn't say all kinds. It varies from time to time. I had some positive feedback this past week about, uh, about giving and having done all the stand. Have you given? And I just want to make that offer again. If you would like a copy of Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Life, if you will let us know, email, text, uh, uh, drop a note in the box, whatever you want to do. We'll provide you a copy of that book. The only requirement is that you read it and give me a paragraph or two of what you thought about it. Be glad for that to happen. And I do appreciate encouragement. Uh, some of you won't connect this, but how many of you are here when I talked about one of my pet peeves? <laughs> Ushers, could you remove that gentleman? So I got a, I got a, a Facebook message from longtime friends of ours and the wife said, I am sitting here this morning listening to my husband slurp his coffee and thinking about how annoyed you would be. So, you know, whatever I can do to help, that's what I'm here for, whatever I can do to help. So, um, but I would encourage you to, um, the other thing that I need to be aware of is next Sunday night at 5.30 will be our annual business meeting. And all the members um, should make that a priority. If you're not a member and you want to hear what's going on, you're welcome to come and share. You just wouldn't be able to vote, but would encourage all of you to be here next Sunday night. What does it take to take a stand? Paul tells us in Ephesians that we should stand with the armor of God, ready to do battle against the enemy. But that phrase ahead of that is one that we rarely talk about. Having done all, have we done all that we need to do in order to take a stand? First question was, have you prayed? Have you entered into dialogue with God about the area that you're taking a stand in? Number two is, have you fasted? And that can happen in a number of ways for a number of methodologies, but have you fasted? Have you prayed? Have you fasted? And then have you given? 
which gives you, um, shows your loyalty, brings God's protection and blessing over you. And those are the three primary disciplines that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 6. Have you prayed, have you fasted, and have you given? But scripture also lets us know there are a couple of other things we need to consider in taking a stand. The fourth question I would like to ask you is this, have you read the word? Have you read the word? I'm just going to tell you this morning, I am sick and tired of hearing people talk about their truth. There is one truth. There's not your truth and my truth, his truth and her truth. There's one truth and it's in the word of God. Now, you might say, this is true about me. I could say, here's what's true about me. I hate liver and onions. And you could say, I love liver and onions. And I would say, well, that's true about you. And that's true about me. But truth is absolute. And scripture gives us clear direction in regard to where we should stand. The preamble to the Assemblies of God's Statement of Fundamental Truths reads this way. The Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. I'm going to say that again because I want you to grab that this morning. We're living in a time that Christendom has never faced before with the eroding of morality and the, and the disregard for Scripture and the rewriting of what is true. What do we believe? We believe that the Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. That's followed by our first fundamental truth, which reads, the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. It's a revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Everything that we believe rests on the word of God. Somebody help me this morning. This isn't open to private interpretation. If you're going to take a stand, you need to know what the word says. I will never forget teaching an adult elective to college students. We are talking, the question came up, why is premarital sex wrong? So I made a presentation the next week on that subject, and at the end, one of our Assemblies of God young men who grew up in an Assemblies of God church said this, Pastor, I already know that the Bible says it's wrong. I want to know why we care what the Bible says about it. We don't have your truth and my truth. We don't have your interpretation and mine. We have the clear word of God. It's a road that a man, though a fool, need not err therein. It is that clear. And so you look like the chosen frozen this morning, but I'm going to emphasize it anyway, that this is the word of God, and I believe that it's true. Hold up your digital device, your Bible, or just your hand. I don't care what you have. And repeat after me, this is the word of God, and I believe that it's true. Why does that matter? Because it is the roadmap to go to heaven. It is the roadmap to worship God. It is the roadmap for everything we do in the realm of faith. What does the word of God say? And before you take a stand on any issue, before you take a stand to fight the devil, you've got to have prayed, you need to have fasted, you need to have given, and you also need to have read the word. What does the word of God say? I came across the 15 reasons the word of God should be important to you, and I'm just going to read it quickly. I'm not going to preach 15 points so that you can relax here and not have a panic attack. But there are lists like this all over the internet. Let me just, one list that came up from a pastor. Why does the word of God matter? It's the power for salvation. It's the key to good success. It's your medicine for healing and weapon of deliverance. It's your light for illumination and direction. It's a weapon for victory. It's access to the life of God. It's a more sure word of prophecy. It's your unfailing promise. It's your realizable hope. It's your pathway to faith. It's your water of cleansing. It's your creative, it's God's creative power. It's your nourishment for growth. It's your protection against sin. It's the power of reconciliation. That's a pretty tall order, but the word of God answers that in every category. This is the word of God, and I believe that it's true. And if you're going to prepare to take a stand, you need to, you need to be anchored to this book. 
So how does it help me take a stand? Well, let me tell you the truth. If you take a stand where the word stands, the word will stand where you stand. Is there anybody in the house this morning? (laughs) My lands. I said, if you stand where the word of God stands, you can be assured the word of God will stand where you stand. And it'll solidify your stand. I remember reading a story in Matthew's gospel about two men that built a house. How many remember that story? And one built on the sand. It was easier. And, and then the storm came. And somebody tell me that's been in Sunday school more than once. What happened when the storm came against the house on the sand? Tell me what happened. It didn't just, it fell down. But scripture is even more clear than that. It fell flat. It completely collapsed and fell. But there was another builder who took time to build it on the rock. And when you built it on the rock and the storms came, what happened to that house? It stood firm. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss the truth. He said, if you build on these sayings of mine, you're building your house on the rock. If you ignore these sayings of mine, you're building on sand. Everything that we're engaged in spiritually depends on the word of God. And it's being twisted, it's being maligned, it's being misused, it's being quoted by devils in our world today. And we need to know what it says before we take a stand. Have you read the word? Have you understood what it has to say? Are you committed to it? So what is our responsibility to the word of God? Number one, I want to challenge you that if you're going to stand, you need to search the scriptures. That is so much more than reading a promise box or my daily bread. And I'm not against any of those devotional guides, but there's something about searching the word of God, digging into what it says. We would call it systematic theology. What does it say throughout the book? It's a wonderful thing to make a a challenge in the start of the year to read through the Bible every year. I'm for that. But it's not enough to just read it. You need to search it. We had a man in a church we pastored that um, read through the, the Bible every January. From January 1 to the end of the month, he'd read through the entire Bible. And then I don't know if he picked it up again. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't see any impact of the reading of the word in his life. Because more than just letting your eyes touch the page and your brain interpret the words, you've got to search it out. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Bereans, because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm not interested in your commentary on social culture. I'm interested in what the word of God says about this world that we live in. So we should come together to receive the word, but then you need to search the word. Why does that matter? Well, I was reading in John chapter 5, and Jesus said this to the Pharisees, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. They're challenging him. They're questioning him. And he says, You've never, these are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the day. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. And you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees were the custodians of the word of God. They weren't viewed as hypocrites or false teachers. They were the core of the religious traditions of the day, the faith structure of Israel. They came to Jesus and challenged him. Why? Because he healed a lame man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. He referred to God as his father, making himself equal with God, and that infuriated them. And they challenged him and questioned him. And he says to them, you are searching the word of God, but you're missing the message. How many people search the word of God so they can anger, uh, get angry, so they can argue, so they can create false doctrine? Search the scriptures to take you to the truth. Take 
time to find out what it says. You're searching the scriptures, but you're missing the message. The message from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. It's about the redemption of mankind. You can cut the Bible anywhere and it will bleed because it's read with redemption truth. You need to anchor to the word and search it. Put some energy into it and dig out those truths for your own life. They lead to Jesus. If you read it but refuse to respond, if you read it but refuse to come, you're not reading it rightly. Many reject the message because they do not know what it means. Others reject the message because they do know what it means. Mark Twain was quoted as saying, when asked, do the parts of the Bible that you don't understand bother you? And his oft-quoted response was, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. Now, to make it even more pointed, while I'm still free to say this without going to prison, there is one form of sexuality that Scripture honors. There is only one. One man, one woman committed to each other for life. Every other expression outside of the marriage contract, the marriage covenant, is not honored by Scripture. We had a, a lady who was coming to our church, previous pastorate. She and her lesbian lover had adopted a child, and they loved what was happening at church and asked me if they could continue to come. And I'm telling you what, the door should be open to everybody. Hello? Come on, help me. It should be open to everybody. Said, I love what's happening here. I love um, what God is doing in this place. And she talked really spiritually, and she said to me, but if we come here, are you going to support our lifestyle? And I said, look, if you come here, you're welcome to come. We will love you. We will care for you. And I'm going to preach truth. She said, that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you're going to support our lifestyle and trying to be gentle because I wanted her to come and give the Holy Spirit time to convict her. I said, we will love you and care for you and welcome you and love for you to be here. You're not answering my question. Will you endorse, support my lifestyle? And I said, I can't because the word of God doesn't. And if you come here you're going to hear that there's one form of sexuality that God endorses, heterosexual marital relationships. Is that clear to everybody? That's what the word says. I can't alter that. I can't change that. I can't do anything else. You can back me down. You can push me out and you can lock me up and you can shut up the voice of the messenger, but it doesn't change what the word of God says. And we need to stand where it says. She said, well, I'd love to stay here. I feel the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? She could sense the presence of God. She liked the energy in the service. But she said, I'm going to find a church that will endorse our lifestyle. And I said, all right, here's a challenge. I'm going to ask one thing from you. I want you to go about the country, about the area, wherever you want to go. And when you find a place where you sense the presence of God like you sense it here, and they endorse um, gay relationships, then I want you to come back and tell me because I want to know about that. And I never saw her again. I'm telling you, God honors his word. Is there anyone in the house? Is this too hard for any of you? I don't want it to be, but when you look frozen, I'm trying to melt you out a little bit. Say amen, he quits faster. You have to stand where it's not my truth and your truth and his truth and her truth. As long as I'm here, I'm telling you what, what in the world has happened to us? You are scientifically male or female and you need to deal with that. I don't care how you self-identify. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying to you, we're, you get the point. We're living in a culture where we've created a new realm of truth that Christians are buying into and entering into. And when the fire of trial comes, you'll not be able to stand because you've not searched the scriptures. 
There's one way to heaven. There's not many ways. There's one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ the righteous. You have to admit you're a sinner. You need to believe that Jesus provided for you and confess him as your salvation. That's the only way to heaven. There are not many names. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that one name is Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody help me this morning. I'm telling you that we need to search the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Don't let a radio preacher or an internet preacher or some book or story tell you have the strength and integrity to search it for yourself. And the Pharisees were searching it, but it wasn't bringing them to Jesus. You have to search it. And how do you know your search is right? Because everything points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The Bible says in James chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed. The whole idea is the word, if you're going to take a stand, the word is going to show you who you are. And when the word shows you who you are, you can make corrections that will strengthen and enable your stand. How many of you looked in the mirror before you came this morning? Some of you, I can believe you didn't. How many of you looked in the mirror before you came this morning? Come on. I saw a meme, I think you called a meme on, uh, on Facebook that this, this person said, I love my pillow because every morning it gives me a new hairstyle. <laughs> I will promise you, I don't look right now like I looked when I got up. Some mornings I look in the mirror and it scares me. What happened? What happened? Now, if I were going to be trendy, I'd just gel it and leave it the way it looked. But that's a different story. Um, I decided when I looked in the mirror this morning and saw what I look like that I needed to correct that. And, um, and I, you don't have to like the way I look. I'm just telling you, I look way better than I did a while ago. All right? It would be easy to walk away from the mirror and walk in here, and someone would walk up to me and say, what happened to your hair? Oh, it looks fine to me. Now watch. Because I can't see it without a mirror. And you can't see you without the word. It reflects who you are. Search the scriptures. Spend time in the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews, Therefore, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found to fall in short of his rest. For we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard had no value to them. The word of God was preached and didn't value them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Know where scripture stands. Know what needs to be changed in your life. What does the Bible say about your stand and the stand that you want to take and about people who take that stand? It's an intentional study of inquiry. You need to search them. But a step beyond that then is you need to know the scriptures. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees came to him again. And I love this question. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? Now, that story, I don't know if any of you remember that story, but the Sadducees came to Jesus, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And the way to simply remember the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee is the Pharisees were all about appearance. And so they were called the fair, I see. I'll keep doing this. I'll be back all week. And the Sadducees, And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. 
and believe in the resurrection. I know, it's painful. I need to have someone up here and do a rim shot on those. Well, that's all I have for today, folks. Come back next week and we'll have a few more. And so they're trying to trap him. And they talk about a man who marries a woman and doesn't have children, and he dies. Marries another man, no children, and he dies. She goes through seven men, and they say, if they're all dead, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And I'd say, I don't know, but if I'm number eight, I'm checking the chili. (laughs) There's something else going on in this house, brother, I'm telling you what. Seven dead men, you're a fool if you're number eight. You're a fool if you're number five. Find out what's going on in that house. But Jesus says to them, when they bring that, he just looks at them, and I can't help but think that Jesus laughed. And they said, here's what he said, listen to this, you are in error. You see, you can't even answer that question because it's so ignorant. You're in error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Those go together. The scriptures and knowing the scriptures, not just searching them, but knowing the scriptures and the power of God. There was some years ago, I heard a parable. This is made up, but I wonder how many stories that you could catch up with as I read this. This would be a great test for uh, Bible knowledge. How many stories do you recognize in this story? A young man that grew up in the country, hadn't had the chance to go to Bible school, came to be interviewed for credentials. He's before the interview credential committee, and they asked him, what's your favorite story in the Bible? And this is what he said. He says, my, my favorite story in the Bible is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and here's how he told it. Once there was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked him as he was going on, and he didn't have any money, so he met the queen of Sheba. She gave him a thousand talents of gold and a hundred changes of raiment. He got into a chariot and drove furiously, and when he was driving under a big jumer tree, his hair got caught in the limb of the tree, and he hung there many days. The ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, and he ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. One night while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut his hair off, and he dropped and fell on stony ground. But he got up and continued on. Soon it began to rain, and it rained 40 days and 40 nights and the water rose so high that a great fish swallowed him but it threw him up three days later being confused by all these events he hid himself in a cave and lived on locusts and wild honey the rain stopped and he went on until he met a servant who said come take supper at my house but the man made excuses and said no I won't I've married a wife and I can't go but the servant went on to the highway and hedges and compelled him to come in after supper he went on his way and finally came down to Jericho when he got there he looked up and he saw that old queen Jezebel sitting there up high in a window she laughed at him the man became furious and said throw her down out of there so they threw her down he said throw her down again so they threw her down 70 times seven and the pieces that remained they picked up with 12 baskets full besides the women and children Then the man said, blessed are the peacemakers, P-I-E-C-E makers. Now, whose wife will she be on resurrection day? I know that's ridiculous, but I'm just telling you. I've heard some things told me that weren't very far away from that. Well, you know what the Bible says. I, I, no, I don't know everything it says, but I know what you're saying is completely made up. We have imposed a number of things on Scripture that Scripture doesn't say. And so the thrust is the Scriptures and the power of God go together. There have been so many things, so many shortcuts, so many formulas that have been foisted upon the church that we've gobbled up because we haven't searched it and we don't know what it says. But if you want the power of God, I'm telling you, it's not in your confession, it's in his word. I know that life and death is in the power of the tongue, but when you put, if you want life in the power of tongue, then speak what the word says. Let it be what comes out of your mouth. Anchor it to this book. If you're you're standing against the devil know what the word says they go to the go together the word of God is quick powerful to discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart it's our offensive weapon in warfare the Bible says in Psalm 107 they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses what did he do he sent his word and healed them and delivered them out of all of their destructions there is a clear and direct relationship between the word of God and the power of God. 
Isaiah tells us, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You have to know what that says. People say that the word of God won't return void. Yes, it does. Sure it does. When you grab it like a dart and throw it at something and expect it to work, the Bible doesn't say it won't return to you void. The Bible says that God said it will accomplish the thing that I send it to and it will not return to me void. So the whole thrust of that is before you take a stand, you need to have prayed, you need to have fasted, you need to have given, and you need to search the word and get a word from heaven. And when you speak what he says from the word, then that word will not return void. But it's not a magic book of spells or incantations that you can launch into this world. No, the scriptures, because when you speak what it says as given you by God, a word from him. Is anybody hearing me this morning? He gives you a word. Hold to that because that will not return void. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. The Emmaus Road disciples was not our, were not our hearts burning within us when he opened to us the scriptures. Jeremiah had given up preaching. He wasn't going to talk anymore. But he said, then his word was like a fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. It motivates, it empowers, it inspires. You can't contain it. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to protect it. You just have to release it and let it do its job. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Why? Because then when you meditate on it and do what it says, then you will be prosperous and then you will have good success. There is power in the word of God, not in your opinions, not in your truth, but in what God says in his book. There's power in the word of God. If you're going to take a stand, understand this. This is where the power is. This is where the power is. Third, you need to search it. You need to search it so you can know it. And the only way you're going to search it and know it is to study it. Earnestly study to present yourselves approved to God. 2 Timothy 2.15. A workman unashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Earnestly study to present yourselves approved to God. Now, some will say, well, it just means give earnest effort. And that Greek word does imply that. But what are you to give earnest effort to? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So however you want to interpret that word study, I'll listen to that. But you need to read the whole verse. So study, give diligent effort, work hard, give your dedication and concentration. You'll find all of those kinds of translations to what? so that you will be a workman unashamed. What is an unashamed workman? One who divides or handles the word of God rightly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say it. A couple of years ago, I got in trouble because I challenged something I heard preached. And rather than debate what the word says, I got har harangued because I had the audacity to say it wasn't true. You can holler at my methods. You can talk about my personality. You can say whatever you want to say. But at the end of the day, it's about what does this say and what does this mean? Let's not argue personalities and styles. Let's look at the word of God. Let's study it. Give effort to. Be diligent about. That's more than casual reading. What does it mean to study? It means to study. How many of you know how to study? Hold up your neighbor's hand. Come on. Anybody know how to study? And I know that you say, well, I wasn't a good student. I don't care if you're a good student or not. You just need to study it. You need to do more than read it. It puts effort into it. So if I'm reading a book for recreation, I'm going to read it 
and just enjoy it. But if I'm going to be tested over it, I'm going to read it with a different mindset. I'm going to try to absorb it. I'm going to make sure I understand the words that are used. I'm going to look up what I don't understand and keep spending time there working on that manuscript or that book or that teaching until I grab hold of it because I'm going to be tested on it. What else does it mean? It means to study. It means to search for meaning. And I'll tell you what, it also means to memorize. We're trying to get a practice into our students' lives. JBQ is about memorizing doctrine. TBQ is about memorizing scripture. And there's a way to make sure that that goes with them everywhere they go. The Bible says, raise up a child in the way they'll go, and they will not depart from it. That does not mean that if you raise them right, they'll never turn from faith. What it means is, if you raise them right, they'll never be able to forget, walk away from, be free of the teaching you gave them. It will follow them everywhere they go. They can't ignore it. They can't get away from them. It'll, uh, uh, it, it'll haunt them in the night. It'll speak to them through the day. And I'm telling you that when you get it in their spirit, well, I don't want a memory. I don't want to work at it. Fine. Then none of that was appropriate for presentation. Be a cupcake. Be a sissy. But don't expect to have the strength to stand in the evil day if you haven't got it inside of your psyche in your soul, in your spirit, what does it say? I don't think this day will come to the United States, but I did this once when I was a youth pastor. Yes, verily, I was a youth pastor many, many years ago. We brought kids in on Conestoga wagons and we rode on parchment. It was a long time ago. (laughs) But we had, I, I talked about the power of the word of God. And they all brought their Bibles then. It was a different time. We didn't have digital devices. Um, we were still trying to figure out how to program our VCR. And so they, um, I had them all bring their Bibles up and lay them on the front platform. And they laid them all out there. It was a big pile of Bibles. And then I gave them a notebook and pen. And I said, I want you to write down all of the scripture that you know. Not one of them could fill a page. And then I said, what you've all written is the only scripture we have because the government has stolen our Bibles. We're underground and we're having to build our faith and all we have is what we've committed to memory. I said, there's not enough here to get us to heaven. What makes you think you have enough inside here to get you to heaven? Anybody in the house now? Come on, help me this morning. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to motivate you. I'm trying to challenge you. I'm trying to say we're living in dangerous times. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper but the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the day of judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He's calling us, challenging us that we would get the word of God inside us and memorize it and meditate on it because then when you have to take a stand in a moment and you know that you've prayed you know that you've fasted you know that you've given the Holy Spirit will take his word that's alive on the inside of you and bring it up in your conscious mind so that you can use it like a sword in the moment of warfare but you won't have time to go to shields and buy a sword you're only going to be able to use what you're carrying on your hip Is anybody with me this morning? Study the word of God. All scripture. (laughs) Please. This is another one of my pet peeves. Well, pastor, we don't have to worry about the Old Testament. We don't have to worry about Leviticus. We don't have to worry about these other things because those were just cultural. 
you haven't searched the scriptures and you don't know the scriptures and you haven't studied the scriptures because anyone who had done that would understand this verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Oh, no, that's not what it says. It says most scripture is given by God. The rest of that can be dismissed because of cultural considerations. All scripture so I, I get it. There's some things that we have to understand. We're written for example, and you have to do the work to understand how it applies. I get all of that. I'm just saying to you that the scripture tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Some for doctrine, some for proof, some for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's profitable to turn you into a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Honor this book and spend time working on it. Earnestly apply yourself to rightly dividing the truth. Concentrate, give diligence, do your best. An unashamed workman. Taking a stand requires a study of the word of God. Standing approved by God with no shame where you stand. So I, I just want to make this a little bit personal. <laughs> I don't want you to flippantly and casually read through scripture in 2022. Isn't that terrible for a pastor to say? I don't want you to casually do that. I want you to own this book. Because, hear me please, this is the burden, the passion that's on my heart this week. After I've worked on this all, I've just, God's really worked me over. And be careful how I say this. But our freedoms are being eroded away at an amazing rate. And that has to happen if a day's going to come that you can't buy or sell or do commerce without a mark in your hand or your forehead. That would never work in the United States of America. And I'm telling you, I don't know if it'll be 100 years or 10 years, but if we continue on this trajectory, religious freedoms will continue to come under attack. And we're gonna have to take a stand. And if we're gonna take a stand, you have to know what real prayer is. You have to know what fasting is about. You need to know what giving is about. But all of that rests on what does this book say? So I'm just gonna ask you to do a couple of things. What are the options? That's why we're doing community groups. So there can be Relational. <laughs> oh, I just, I'm in a mess this morning. I'm trying to get out of this and it won't let go of me. Um, relational discipleship. Well, it's not very deep. Many times when people say it's not very deep, they don't know what deep really is. Because the gospel is simple. Do you know what deep is? Deep is, have you shared your faith with an unbeliever this month? That's what deep is. Are you tithing? That's what deep is. Are you praying in tongues? That's what deep is. It's going deeper in your relationship with him. 
Now, we do a Wednesday night adult Bible study. You're welcome to come to that. And my whole intent there is to give a deeper exposition of the scripture. And you may not think I'm successful, but that's the intent. What is the depth of faith? What is the depth of study? Deep study is understanding what you read and then doing that on Monday. Come on, someone help me now. What are you doing with the word that would have any resemblance to study? (laughs) No one has said this to me. Pastor Kevin, you can tell me later that you wish I hadn't said it. It won't matter because I'll already have said it. But I'd like to see everybody in a community group. And if you go to a community group and open the scriptures 10 minutes before you leave to get there, you're not studying. Here's what deep is. I read, for God so loved the world. And God gives me a revelation of his love that I haven't seen before. And God says, I love that person that you hate. I love that person you have bitterness against more than you understand love. And I need you to call them tomorrow and ask them for forgiveness. That's deep. And you share that in a community group. And the next week, you're going to have to say, this is what God spoke to me. Pray for me because this is what I'm going to do Monday. You know what? That creates life change because we're in accountable relationships. Is anybody hearing me now? This isn't about depth of scholarship. It's about depth of lifestyle. Putting it into practice. Will you commit yourself to the word of God? Will you commit yourself to search it, to know it, and study it? Well, I don't have an appetite that tells me that you're a banana peel away from spiritual death because people that are in love with Jesus are gonna have a hunger for what his word says. With me? How many ready for this to be over? Stand with me. I'm trying to drive you to the word this morning. It's not about your truth or my truth. It's all about his truth. Now, let's ask him as we worship to put a fire shut up in our bones that comes from his word. And I've heard a thousand stories of love
I'm asking this morning that you would rekindle flame of passion for your word. That we wouldn't be people who attend a Berean church, but we'd be people with the spirit of the Bereans who are searching the scriptures to find out what is true. Give us a hunger and a passion. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Because he is, he is the word of God. Thanks for being here this morning. I'm glad you're upright. Take a nourishment. You survive in the cold. Welcome to Iowa. And thank you for your faithful giving. Your uh, consistent giving is so, so vital in the ministry God's called us to. So again, thank you so much. God bless you. Encourage someone. Give them a prompt to love Jesus. Amen.